0: Hello and welcome back to this, well not welcome back, just welcome to this, I guess welcome back to the series, <laughs> but welcome for the first time to this episode 7 of uh, where we're going to be talking about a subject very dear to our hearts and to the hearts of boomers everywhere, the Falklands War. Um, I am Miles Evans and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Nate Bethay. Hello,
1: thank you for having me on this momentous day to discuss... Uh, some rocks in the South Atlantic, yeah, some penguins and some inbred yeah. white English people, sorta
0: when the Royal <laughs> Marines and two power raised a big flag with the crying laughing emoji over Port Stanley
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on this episode, we're joined by a very special guest it's uh our our co-host and dear friend Alice caldwell Kelly
3: yes hello uh it's it's a lovely day in the Falkland Islands, and you're a horrible goose green. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually Alice's undisclosed location. Okay. Podcasting <laughs> yeah, broadcasting live. from a from a laying up points on Wireless Ridge. Yeah,
1: years <laughs> years ago, I was looking at. There's a website called Mediarg, and it's like they list job you know opportunities in, in media throughout the UK. Mm. And I saw one that sounded really up my alley, and it was a pretty good salary too. It was probably like in like the thirty thousand ish range. Which I mean, like for you know doing media stuff in the UK, unless you're you're going to be George Osborne writing for the mm. race, the Racism Weekly, like you're just yeah. you do pay get well. Much.
0: The Racism Weekly,
1: I will we say, do, yeah. unionized yeah. workforce. So yeah. Amazing. yeah. The <laughs> one the one thing where there are actually four labor rights in Britain. But uh yeah, I saw this radio producer gig and I was like, Oh, that sounds really good. And then I checked the location. It was literally Port Stanley. Because it was you were gonna be working for like the civil's armed forces radio whatever the fuck they do down there
0: and i'm like i think i'm okay with not living in the falkland islands (laughs) nate just like making a fucking commercial but like down a foxhole on south georgia (laughs) see
1: that's the thing if you're gonna send me to a remote british territory it's gotta be like I, i it's gotta be banter like the yeah. Falklands isn't banter enough. It's gotta be like Tristan De Cunha or something yeah. like
0: that. You know, like, Can Islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, Diego like, Garcia. It's like,
1: Nate, you're gonna go work on Edinburgh of the South Seas. Like literally, you can't only get there by boat. Like, and yet Amazon <laughs>
0: delivers there somehow. Awesome. That's what you yeah. Say what you like about Jeff Bezos, but he doesn't forget the colonies. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Yeah. Um so I thought like uh, up top um, th- this warranted a brief discussion of what the Falkland Islands actually are um which I think uh, the British listeners will probably know American listeners may not. Um they are some very small islands that are about 300 miles off the coast of Patagonia in South America. Um <clears throat> and they've been British since like 1842. Um, yeah, and before through that,
3: through the time honored expedient of sending British people there to yeah. farm sheep and be British.
0: Yeah. Oh, wait, hang on, eighteen thirty-three actually. Apparently, so uh-huh. I, I check my notes. And before that, they'd had also some like vague, like Spanish and French and Argentine attempts at having a settlement there. Although at that point, an Argentine settlement was really just a Spanish. <laughs> settlement. Yeah, a Spanish settlement because Argenti- um,
1: Argentina didn't become independent, I believe, until I, I want to say in the eighteen thirties or forties, yeah. um, maybe later than that, because most of Spain's empire stayed part of spain until the the mid 19th Mm. century but um the british government the the empire was heavily heavily involved in uh both argentina and chile particularly in sort of establishing like a monopoly on selling on buying Mm. resources and selling finished products so they Mm. would just they just did massive amounts of like doesn't sound like something we would product dumping in in particularly in Chile but also in mm. Argentina
3: so yeah and also and bought a bunch of corned beef uh, oh. Creating uh, an enormous, uh, like slaughterhouse, called the English Complex in Freybentos, Bentos, oh. Argentina, which you may have ah, heard of from the pie. There's also a place, yeah, uh, a
0: mysterious exactly. benefactor called Mr. Mr. S <laughs> M R E Info. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, there's, there's
3: also a, a community
1: in southern Argentina. I might think I think it might technically be Patagonia. It is a Welsh-speaking community. Oh yeah, the Argentine not. Welsh. Yeah, yeah, there's an Argentine Welsh-speaking community because so many Welsh people moved there. And God, that's a fucking unencumbered un- 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 by the English for once. They were able to establish independence, and now they are just Argentinian
0: citizens.
3: This is the future mm. that Plaid Cymru wants. They want Absolutely. all of you
1: to move to Patagonia.
0: Yeah, that's right. Cool. Um, I mean, you know, uh, some of the least problematic people ever to emigrate to Argentina, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and I can say that with confidence. Um. Yeah, so I mean th- my main point in this his- this brief potted history of the Falkland Islands is that they are some fucking rainy ass rocks in the South Atlantic where like a few thousand people live who are like Pretty much entirely British, and they're just like incredibly like as we will discover in the rest of this episode, they are incredibly yada home counties ass people who happen to live like five thousand miles from Britain. Very much um, so. And uh, before this, these islands were completely uninhabited because like why would you inhabit them? Uh, and that is a question no one has ever answered. Uh, and so basically like. They, there's no logical reason why they should be British, but there's no logical reason why they should belong to literally anyone. They're just like pointless islands in the middle of the Atlantic. Like, any claim to sovereignty over these islands is just like makes no sense it's pure saber Well, i mean
1: when you get down that far south in south america the borders are almost completely arbitrary they stop corresponding to terrain features and start corresponding to just lines that have been drawn like straight lines i mean and obviously argentina and chile both have territorial responsibility i suppose over certain parts of antarctica for example yeah but like i know i don't know as much about argentine history i know quite a bit about chilean history and i mean they were still Trying to get people to populate, you know, those areas to colonize those areas, you know, mm. into the yeah. It's, mid- it's
3: like their big project. Brazil has yeah. like Amazonian settlement, yeah. and yeah. Argentina and Chile have send everybody to live in Patagonia. Yeah, because it's it's yeah. it's
1: it's not. It's still kind of ongoing in a way. I mean, but it's more like it. it, it, it they these were not areas. They were depopulated of, of indigenous mm. people because of disease and just because of in, yeah. in Chile's case endless warfare. And, uh, well, that sounds good. Yeah. And at this point, like also they're just incredibly harsh environments. So like, it's not like mm. a lot of people are just champing at the bit to be like, hell yeah, yeah. I want to live, you know, in like at 60 degrees South latitude or whatever.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I guess the the thesis I'm setting up here is I don't want any uwus getting in my mentions saying it's woke to say that the Falklands are Argentine territory. It is not. Argentina is a bad country. Britain isn't necessarily better, but we will not be taking the Argentine
3: side in this. No, (laughs) especially especially the Argentina of 1982, which was fully the the one fascist dictatorship in South America that Margaret Thatcher found she didn't like. (laughs)
1: I'll just say this too. Argentinians or Argentines Argies are very yeah. into the line Ar- Argies yeah, yeah sorry are, yeah. Very, are very into the line that uh, they love Baji. we don't give a shit send <clears throat> those people back those islands belong to us even to this day you will meet people mm. your your age Milo or younger yeah. who are just like nope Las Malvinas on Argentinas like that's 100% yeah. so just understand that like there's a big amount of Argentine nationalism revolving around uh, around two that two stupid yeah. rocks but, with but some also sheep. Yeah. Th- yeah it's not the only manifestation of it because obviously like a lot of, of what you might call the same kind of energy is directed towards uh trying to seek redress for the crimes of the Galtieri regime, which
0: mm. we're gonna talk about. Yeah, I mean, bad government. Something, something. I will say is that I think that, um, you know, c- making no direct allusions, I would say that it is generally the facet of a slightly shit country to be incredibly concerned with like very stupid, like talismanic symbols of your national power.
3: Oh yeah, uh, totally. But that's why the 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 big quote about the Falklands War is that it's two bald men fighting over a comb. Yep, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: Pablo Neruda, the uh, Chilean mm-hmm. Stalinist poet, yeah. who said that. Yes, that's and correct. Uh, and for example certain nationalities and their nationalists who get very hit up about whether you use certain definite articles in front of their country or not. <laughs> I was gonna say, well,
1: yeah. I mean, as as we famously know, there is zero contention or argument or even stress about whether or not Tsushima slash docto is either Japanese or Korean. Mm. Um, legitimately, two uninhabited tiny rocks about the size of the building that we're in right now. Yeah. And yep. Bro, they will fucking cut each other's throats with that shit. I, I love, to, care care live, so I love to live
3: on a concrete barge in the Paracel Islands, which is slowly creating a concrete thing on the Paracel mm. Islands where more of my friends can live. Francis just Docto, so we can say we
0: live there. Francis Docto is Francis Weito's Wario.
3: <laughs> check, check this shit out, Docto twins. So let me let me, <laughs> ju-
1: let me just say this as, as a brief quarrel before we... Uh... Actually, I don't think I use that word correctly. As just an aside,
0: before we talk about just caveat what the commander said, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Let> <laughs> caveat off that for a second. All right, y'all just want <laughs> to me, let me have a caveat on that zoot. <laughs> um,
1: so, to give you an example of the political culture of Argentina, um, Argentina was a very, very rich country in the early part of the 20th century. Is not rich anymore. It at one point formed what you might call like a sort of, uh, like social democracy with incredible amounts of cronyism and mm. corruption uh but then obviously like they suffered because so much of their income was based on commodities and you know like a lot of the reason why they were wealthy was because they were not affected by world war one or two and so selling beef for example to europe during the mm. wars made them a ton of money and then anyway if we have any listeners in the gulf arab
0: states don't worry about yeah, it Yes, this should be fine but the <laughs> don't, point don't read the, into
1: this the point i'm trying to make is that um so in the aftermath of Juan Perón and his Juan Perón reigned for a period of time and then left office and mm. then came back something. Let me give you an example of things that happened in Argentina that were sort of part of the daily goings on in terms of politics. Mm. At one point, Perón uh, gave a speech when he arrived after I think he was in exile, I think in Bolivia, but I can't remember where he arrived at Aziza airport, which is like about an hour, maybe half hour south of Buenos Aires. Um A sniper opened fire on the crowd and killed like 30-something people. Another time, he was giving a speech in the 50s, I believe. He was Mm. giving a political rally to shore up support. Because if I remember correctly, he had been condemned for
3: having a relationship with like a 13-year-old girl or something like that. Cool. And then during the rally... Does that make the Falklands War, as as like a an act against continuity Peronism, the first and largest act of British nonce hunting? <laughs> it might. But if I remember correctly... Just two large men sit down on Juan Peron and hold in there until the police arrive. The arrives. nonce hunting fleet has been dispatched. <laughs> the,
1: the sniper incident I'm talking about was, I believe, in 1971. But in the 50s, there was an incident where I think the, 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 the nonce speech was taking place Uh, where during his rally, uh, two planes from the Argentine Air Force took off and then dropped bombs on the crowd, killing like 500 people, and then defected to Uruguay. So that's the kind of. Just bear in mind that all you know, like bicameral presidential republics in Latin America are insanely unstable. So is America. Basically, every, yeah. every government set up in the new world, if you will, that uses that system is incredibly unstable. And in Latin America, it just has... Uh, there are more people... Basically, America will tolerate it if you kill the libs more than they'll tolerate it if you kill yeah. the libs in America. So by the time of the Falklands War, there had been a military regime in Argentina, I believe for about 10 years. I mean it had been bad for a while. Yeah, 76. 76. Was yeah, yeah, Iran, exactly. Iran, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So so but but basically all was not well in Argentina and uh this was there there's an expression in in, in Spanish that they call a guerra sucia, basically like a a dirty war and mm-hmm. people were being disappeared, people were being executed. Um famously in the 90s they were remodeling an old uh like shopping arcade in Buenos Aires and whilst uh remodeling it they found graffiti of people who were like we're imprisoned in this cell and we're going to be executed please save us or please remember us and stuff like that and this was from the 80s mm. like needless to say Argentina and Chile both Two very different. Yes, those are our fucking islands. Two very different experiences. (laughs) A lot of people know quite a bit about Chile because of Pinochet and like the Mm. way that like the helicopter memes and shit and Operation Condor has become like a right wing thing. Mm. Fewer people, I think, know about Argentina, but it was like it's it it is not an overstatement to say that if you look at the governments of places like Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil Mm. in the seventies and eighties that was fascism
3: yeah Yeah. those were fascist ask an argentinian what a a dark green ford falcon means to them
1: yeah yeah yeah, absolutely absolutely and i mean like it's just uh and 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 so needless to say uh this was not a country Mm. in which uh people could express dissent or in which
0: things that were opposite to the government line were particularly tolerated. No, uh, we, will not, we will not be stanning uh, Argentina in this episode. <laughs> uh, so bringing us to the war itself, uh, it's 1982. Come on, Eileen is at the top of the charts. You've got a haircut that can only be described as Australian. Mark Thatcher <laughs> has recently disappeared for four days in the Sahara Desert during oh, an no. abortive attempt at the Paris-Dakar rally. His mother, Margaret Thatcher, is the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. This is a quote from Simon Jenkins in an article in The Guardian from recently. The so-called wets were openly conspiring against her. Bets were being taken against her surviving into the new year. Well behind in the polls and with the new Social Democratic Party challenging both Labour and Conservatives, few believed Thatcher would ever lead her party to another election win. And she never did. Uh, we're going to wrap up the episode there.
3: Dusts <laughs> <laughs> <Does> hands <laughs> theatrically. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's good news. <laughs> so
0: just in case you wonder what
1: would happen if Corbyn hadn't really had in the polls, just bear in mind that in 1981, Labour underfoot was polling at about 22 to 25 points ahead. Mm. Actually, 20 points ahead in the polls. Yeah. A thing that no one has seemed to be able to reach, even though it has no. been promised. Uh, thus, f- thus, fomenting the SDP-LP split in which they uh, they formed a spoiler party that somehow exists to this day, yeah. uh, dedicated to both ruining Labor's vote under f- first past the post and murdering squirrels. Uh, mm. And basically, <laughs> if you look at the idea of like, ah, the left was destroyed because Foot was so bad. No, fuck that. Foot was doing quite well. Two things happened. One of them was the SDP-LP split, and the other was, of course... The Falklands Falklands
0: War (laughs) Because on April 1st 1982 Argentine forces landed in Port Stanley On the largely forgotten British territory Called the Falkland Islands Uh, Now at this point I think it's fairly safe to say That basically the Argentine military junta Based on the reading I've done Had assumed that the general level of chaos In Thatcher's government at the time Would lead to the British government Basically not doing anything And (laughs) they were basically sitting at the poker table And staring everyone down With like the world's shittest hand And just hoping that like going all in Was going to work uh, Thatcher, however, correctly saw this as an opportunity to distract from how fucked everything was, and uh, despite Reagan telling her that she could not do this, she was just like, "Send the fleet.
3: We're, we're doing it. We're going in, lads." Yeah, which is, I think, partly why this lives so so deeply in the imagination of the British boomers is that it's kind of the last hurrah, uh, other than like the Suez crisis, for actually going against what the US yeah, wants.
1: If the Suez had worked, it would be this, but it didn't. Yeah. And similarly, and also
0: involved teaming up with the French, which we don't like. Yeah, as a yeah, rule. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I'll also, just bear in mind that um, th- the UK's unemployment rate was like shockingly bad. Mm. Basically, by in Thatcher's first premiership uh i want to say the uk's workforce was something along the lines of like maybe 18 to 20 million adults i mean the uk's population was much smaller than it is now
3: yeah. every day you had to go to work in the factory where a policeman hit you over the head with a truncheon killing you so basically right. um, basically
1: there were something like three million unemployed adults like the uk had one of the the highest if not the highest unemployment rate in the developed world. Uh, there famously was, was a prediction from the IMF that the UK was going to regress into not being a developed country anymore. So things, things were very yeah. bad
0: economically. And so, fortunately, that never happened either. So yeah. <laughs> there's no need to think any more about that. So long story short, yes, this was a, a, a
1: prime opportunity. I remember reading somewhere that Thatcher in 1981, when things were at their worst in terms of her polling and mm. just basically sat in the, the back garden of one of either the estate, or 10 Downing Street just in a daze just being like I'm the worst prime minister ever everything <laughs> fucking sucks and God Damn. I wish
0: we could have maintained that energy it's terrible how just so many professional for- women have imposter syndrome isn't it <laughs> <laughs> really is name me a male prime minister who's ever felt that way um uh, i
1: mean one of the, the 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 one almost immediately prior to thatcher two prime ministers before thatcher did spend a lot of time convinced that the that mi5 was trying to kill him and then it turned out work yeah, they were. yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that is the funniest possible outcome it's being called mad for years yeah, and MI5 are not actually that good at killing Prime Ministers, it turns yeah. out. So they just, they kind of try, but not really that hard. No.
0: All they can do is like keep saying, what's all this then, until you accidentally fall down the stairs. <laughs>
3: They're just buttering
0: your staircase
3: in the hopes of... Yeah, you, try, you try to organise a military coup in Britain and like everybody agrees it's a great idea. All of the officers go straight into it and then you get them all in the room and the port comes out and it's just bloody chundered everywhere, you know? Yeah, exactly. Useless. I know, terrible. Um, This is actually where, where the story of the Falklands War gets a bit
0: interesting because I did some digging on this. Um, Because in the official version of events, which is the one that the British government still sticks to uh, basically they're a detachment of 60 Royal Marines garrisoned in Stanley who were charged with defending the islands which is basically just, just sit here and do nothing nothing's yeah. ever going to happen right? so uh, the Argentine landing force shows up official version of events uh, the Royal Marines uh, who are under the command of a major basically just, they exchange a few volleys of fire with the Argentinians they kill like three or four of them and then uh, they take no casualties and eventually they just surrender because um, uh, the governor orders them to Apparently, what actually happened, because this guy wrote a book about this and did loads of interviews with both British and Argentine vets. That just like is not what happened at all, but is like an official version of events which the Crown like denoticed like everyone to stick to. Uh, So (laughs) according to this book, um, based on these interviews and also with Falkland residents and so on, um, they reckon that uh, the Marines inflicted about 107 Argentine casualties, including sinking a fucking boat and destroying an APC in a battle that went on for like nearly 24 hours. Um, until eventually, like, the Marines had basically fired, like, 7,000 rounds of ammunition, which was, like, more or less all they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they surrendered, but had still not taken any casualties. And then apparently, the, the reason why they all got issued a notice not to tell the press about this was because the British government wanted to put uh, pictures of the Marines surrendering on, f- on the front of all the papers to generate enough outrage, so no one was like, why are we sending a fucking
3: fleet? Huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, that kind of loses a lot of its impact if you think, hey, these guys have just been doing uh, like Omaha Beach shit to the Argentinian landing force like 10 minutes earlier, huh? Yeah, this, this is, and this is where we, I think, we kind of get to my initial thesis about this
0: war, which is that it's basically the most dudes rock war that's ever occurred, <laughs> <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> it's just a bunch of guys who are like, in various, in ver- on like on both sides, who are just like, this is a war that is ultimately inconsequential. And like, it's the only war we're going to get. And so everyone is just kind of going hog, like trying to do like the coolest shit they can think of because like they're so excited that they're getting a war. Um, and so like, yeah, of course, of course, the Marines went hog at the fucking at a much superior
3: because they're the Marines. They're fucking
0: insane. That's
3: that's how you get in the Marines by being mental. Yeah, and if you if you joined the Marines to do some war, right, the only war you've gotten is, you know, you could have been in for 20 years and all you've got at is shot at in Northern Ireland, right? Yeah. You've never gotten a, a, a capital W war in your entire career. You've shagged Father McMurphy, but that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also bear in mind that, uh, I mean, the British military in the early 80s was far better equipped than the Argentine military by an order of magnitude. Most of the equipment the Argentine military was using was World War II vintage. Yeah. Like steel pot helmets and uh, mm-hmm. clip rifles and stuff like that. Right, so like, we were
0: using very modern stuff from the 50s,
3: like our dodgy rework of the FN Fal. Yeah. And because they were fascists, they loved conscription. Mm-hmm. And so all of these guys who they sent to the Falklands were, you know, 16, 17, 18 and just, you know, waiting to get into college or whatever. Mm. uh had no clue what they were in for didn't want to be there and we're up against Psycho Baz who yeah. has been grinding <laughs> his teeth in West Germany for 25 years waiting for the 3rd Guards Tank Army to come over the border Yeah you do
0: want to come up against as a conscript some fucking green lids who have basically been deliberately bred to have no remorse or pity <laughs> or any human emotions Also I mean bear in mind
1: that like one of the, one of the the, the famous um sort of conundrums for the Argentine military in this war was that you had people in basically foxholes they would dug with entrenching tools, mm. you know, with medium light machine gun, medium and light machine guns, maybe some heavy machine guns, uh, getting strafed at night by harriers with night vision. Mm. And these guys are basically like just like shooting at sound, not knowing what the fuck is <laughs> going on. Just getting obliterated, you know, wearing like the kind of stuff that people would have worn like, you know, at the Inchon landings. Like, it, it, genuinely, there was a technical mismatch once, once the fleet got involved. And so it yeah. doesn't surprise me that, that uh, a garrison, like a half company sized garrison was able to inflict that many casualties and take no yeah. casualties of their own given yeah. the circumstances. Well, and
0: also because, like, th- th- that's kind of, that's what the marines are for. Like, they train for that kind of shit because they're supposed to be, like, a small deployable force. So this is, like, this is like their wettest ever dream, getting attacked in the night by a bunch of ill-equipped idiots and they get to, like, do, like, psycho baz shit. Yeah, like-
1: this is basically tower
0: defense, the fucking Flash game, except in actual <laughs> war. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, anyway, this is at the point where I would like to take us on a little digression Because I'm sure that Alice knows this But I, d- I think Nate might not know this the, uh, the Royal Marines were not the only British forces deployed on the Falkland Islands <laughs> Oh cool boy, was there another British force that was even more psychotic than the Royal Marines And I am talking about something called the Falkland Islands Defence Force yeah,
3: real fucking snake eaters. Here. Yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you think Delta Force are tough? You think the SAS are tough? No, nothing on these guys. I cannot describe to you the face Nate is currently making, but it's one of intense trepidation.
0: I mean, I'm envisioning,
1: I'm envisioning a kind of more weird and inbred dad's army.
0: Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's hard to define, like, exactly legally where it stands because it's like funded by the Falkland Islands government, but it's like sort of part of the British Army, but sort of not. It's basically like an official paramilitary organization. Sort of
3: somewhere in the same chain of command as a public school cadet detachment. (laughs) And about pitched at about the same sort of level of military discipline. Exactly. But yeah, this is, you're exactly right, Nate. This is what I
0: had written in my notes, is just this is dad's army shit. So um, I am going gonna, gonna to read to you from a bit of Wikipedia from the Falklands Defense Force. 1st of April 1982. Alongside the Royal Marines Party, the FIDF was mobilized to defend the islands from the Argentine invasion. Many of its members lived in remote settlements, so given the limited notice of its approximately 120 men, some 23 turned out. <laughs> the, the following day, Sir Rex Hunt ordered them to surrender. The Argentines confiscated all of the FIDF's equipment and declared them to be an illegal organization. For the duration of the war, some members of the FIDF were ...were kept under house arrest at Fox Bay until the Argentine surrender. The FIDF was reformed in 1983. Now, most of them were kept under house arrest. That is, all except for one man.
3: A man <laughs> that I will call Dad Rambo. <laughs> Dad Shooting down MI-24s with a bow and arrow.
0: Almost. It's, it's time that we learn a little bit about Terry Peck. <laughs> Um, So, uh, Terry Peck was an islander who worked as a policeman and served in the FIDF. Here's an excerpt from his involvement in a previous Argentine incident. On the 26th of September 1966, an Aerolíneas Argentinus DC-4 flew low over Stanley before attempting to land at the racecourse. On its approach, it clipped telegraph poles, and on touching down, the undercarriage sank into the soft ground, bringing the aircraft to an immediate and jarring stop. Earlier that day, the aircraft had been hijacked while on an internal flight by right-wing Argentine nationalists, known as the Condor Group, who forced the crew to fly to the Falklands, apparently unaware there was no airport. <laughs> Islanders, including Terry, assumed the aircraft was in trouble and rushed to help only to be taken hostage by the terrorists. Despite the serious nature of this incident, there were many elements of FAST, not fast, not least of which was Terry's escape hidden under the robes of a local priest acting as a mediator.
3: Oh no, Father McMurphy.
0: <laughs> Can I just say that this is an
1: extremely South American right-wing thing to do? Mm. This is incredible. I want to give us a quick digression, and I know you gotta get through your notes. Yeah. If you are interested in the brain power of the guys who would do such a thing. Mm -hmm. I I, I strongly recommend to you a book entitled Nazi Literature in the Americas by a Chilean author named Roberto Bolaño, Mm -hmm. Chilean-Spanish. I mean, he spent most of his adult life in Spain. Uh, basically it's a, it's a fictional literary encyclopedia of fictional writers who are all right wing in some capacity of different countries in the Americas. Mm -hmm. And the ones about Latin America are fucking hilarious. Like the ones about, about South America, like because they are so insane, but also invariably have weird literary pretensions. Mm -hmm. Like these are the kind of people who are like, let's, let's, let's make a right wing literary review for like our soccer hooligan club. That is a hundred (laughs) percent real. And they're the kind of people who are like, we're hijacking a plane to make a point about the Falklands. And we're going to land it in a place with no airport. This is happening
0: yeah um and uh what well, I love that it's basically like carry on up the Falklands. <laughs> Like It's so like who uh, misses having to be like yeah fucking uh what what's his face uh, Kenneth Williams is hiding you under his hassock and like fucking uh, <laughs> smuggling you out yeah
3: so in my head this guy Terry Peck is now played by Sid James <laughs> oh absolutely ideologies <laughs> um now this is where it gets really funny because it turns out that uh Terry
0: Peck was literally on a list of people to be immediately arrested by the Argentine military. <laughs> <laughs> like, Your name will also go on the R name Villasor list. <laughs> um, I just love that they're like that they have like a list of like biggest nutters
3: on the Falkland Islands, and he is like number one. These days, you man. would use Twitter to compile that, but like they yeah. didn't have that then, so you had to rely on prior intelligence. Yeah, anyone with a crying laughing emoji tattoo <laughs> is immediately. I, I love getting a it Darcy.
1: It's just totally Los blokes du peligrosos, or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, I'm gonna. I'm what g- is Spanish for flat nosed geezers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even know, man. Yeah. Um, uh, planos? Is that like? Planos? planos? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I guess you could say. Los nosos planos. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> something along the lines of yeah, like like tipos tipos con narices, planos, planos, or something along
0: those lines. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I have no idea. That's right. Um, I'm going to read some more from this time from Terry Peck's Wikipedia because I don't know who wrote this, but it's fucking incredible. <laughs> Having prepared a possible escape plan for some time, like, immediately, what a fucking guy! Like this guy has a plan for this specific. <laughs> Which at the time was considered like vanishingly unlikely uh, Terry armed himself with a semi-automatic pistol Borrowed a motorbike from the garage of an expatriate And fled Stanley His first stop was Long Island Farm Home of Neil and Glenda Watson Where a party was in full swing celebrating the Queen's birthday <laughs> <laughs> Again,
3: psycho, fucked Anglo vibes <laughs> The people who live on the Forklands fucking rule, man They're all mental <laughs>
0: Um, This was nearly his undoing As the party did not hear the approach of a Puma helicopter Until it was too late How loud were they celebrating the fucking Queen's (laughs) birthday Like how loud can you sing God save the Queen Um, And the house was already surrounded by Argentine soldiers Fortunately the search of the house Was half-hearted and he escaped detection By the simple expedient of locking himself in the toilet Classic (laughs) avoiding the fucking ticket inspector on the train vibes um he left for green patch to find locals expecting him there he acquired cold weather gear and rashes left there by a party of royal navy sailors from hms endurance it doesn't really say whether like deliberately or just discarded like (laughs) this guy's doing steve mre info shit again um He then spent ten miserable days camping in a remote part of the islands known as Geordie's Valley, where he had vanished before the occupation. Eventually, the cold sapped his morale and he risked a fire for the chance of a hot meal. Unfortunately, just as it was ready, he accidentally knocked it over. It was the lowest point of his escape, and demoralized, he sought help from Trudy Morrison at Brookfield Farm. A warm meal and a bath improved his mood, and with the help of other islanders, he recovered weapons hidden by the Royal Marines, who escaped during the invasion.
3: This is less of an insurgency and more, you're just camping.
0: By that yeah. point now i have a machine gun ho 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 <laughs> i can't imagine anyone who'd be more concerned about this about like this man coming into the possession of royal marines weaponry than the royal marines <laughs> like, like holy shit do not give that guy a machine gun we've met him before he's mental um on the 21st of may He finally heard the news he had been waiting for. Isabel Short, a resident of Port San Carlos, issued the cryptic message. We've just received a lot of friends over the shortwave radio. I assume this is a swingers thing. Uh, When the BBC confirmed the landing, Terry immediately set out to link up with British forces.
1: He's living the boomer dream. He absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, nothing could be more your dad than this. Like you're, you're basically doing shitty camping for queen and country.
0: Oh, hundred um, percent. And I'm going to come back to Terry Peck later, later in the episode to find out what what happens to him, the most Rambo dad who ever lived. Um, so, just to like recap some early war stuff uh there was there was a whole thing where the argentines had all these missiles and fighter jets that they bought off of the french French, which was basically their only functioning military equipment the french then found it quite embarrassing that the argentines were at war with one of their major allies and so the french began training the raf to like fight french fighter jets and like giving them all sorts of like weird details on like how to evade Exocet missiles it was i just like i love the image of the french being like we are very sorry about selling all of these weapons to a fascist dictatorship we did not know that you you are going to have a war with them. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, meanwhile, the Israelis were just arming the Argentines, mm. just
3: just fully at it. Um, Agents of chaos, shit. I do respect that aspect of Israeli foreign policy to just mm. be like, yeah, no, we'll just do the the most dudes rock thing in any given situation, which in this case is arming the fascists.
0: Yeah, they're doing like epic mealtime, but for wars. Like the Israelis <laughs> just want to see more explosions. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh yeah and so then um uh, uh the British submarine HMS Conqueror sunk the General Belgrano there was some controversy over gotcha. this yeah. Uh, yeah yeah there was the controversy was basically based around whether the Belgrano was leaving the theater of operations or maneuvering and eventually the captain of the Belgrano said that he was actually maneuvering so it was like a legal yeah sinking. but th- this was but. like
3: I, I, it's kind of embarrassing that this was like the biggest left Opposition to the to the war was like Margaret Thatcher getting confronted on television by your actual mum as opposed <laughs> to your actual dad who is out camping and yeah. like trying to shoot down helicopters. Just trying your to work out how mom, GPMG works. <laughs> yeah, your actual mum is on the TV, like really laying into Margaret Thatcher about how the Belgrano was supposedly sailing out of the exclusion zone. Mm. Um and it was like it was quite embarrassing for her.
1: Yeah, yeah, but also I think that one of the reasons why the sinking of the Belgrano wasn't necessarily like a knock against Thatcher in the grand spectrum of British public opinion was that uh, there was another ship named after a a famous city in the north, the HMS yeah. Sheffield, which was mm-hmm. hit by an Exocet, Exocet missile, and if I'm not mistaken, it was sunk.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: which killed quite a few people, and so... uh yeah, needless to say. Yeah, I mean,
3: Exocets hit quite a few ships. They hit the Atlantic Conveyor, which had all the helicopters on mm-hmm. it, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, which yeah. destroyed all but one Chinook, Chinook, helicopter. Chinook helicopter. Yeah, yeah, and that was yeah. the
0: and that was the one flown by Prince Andrew. Skynons.
3: <laughs> yes, literally, yes. Skynons.
1: yeah. And one thing, I, one thing I would point out about that 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 is an interesting detail is that Chinooks have a much longer range than your typical helicopter and can also carry a lot more things, people, et cetera. And so if, for example, you were trying to, you know, conduct combat operations on incredibly remote islands in the South Pacific, let's just say hypothetically, we South, were. South Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. There, there aren't yeah. really a ton of good options because like if you are dependent on aircraft carriers, for example, or like a shipborne platform, you know, like a Blackhawk, a fucking, you know, uh, a Huey, anything mm-hmm. like that, they don't really have range. Like, they can basically go 90 minutes one way and then have to turn around and come back, or a Chinooks can go much further. So, mm-hmm. like, if I'm not mistaken, a significant amount of the whole Yomp thing, which we'll get into later, of the, oh, we the ground march was because they didn't have the range to land at Port Stanley because like, they yeah. just couldn't fucking get there.
3: Yeah. Also, also the, the lift capacity, which meant that like, in order to set up uh, surface-to-air missiles on land, the blowpipe missile batteries, mm. they had to use this one Chinook helicopter to fly the, the actual launching system and then each of the missiles yeah, that makes like sense. independently yeah, yeah because there's so.
1: one thing also to bear in mind too is that depending on weather conditions like some helicopters just cannot function when i the, one of the reasons why we flew so often on chinooks when i was in afghanistan is that to get over certain passes in afghanistan during bad weather like blackhawks uh kiowas uh other uh, apaches even can't really get over them like they're just too high the weather's too bad but chinooks are fucking school buses they yeah. can they can basically, I mean, if you can do it in a helicopter, you can do it in a chinook, and so mm-hmm. yeah, like ha- losing almost all of your chinooks, not a very good thing. Kind of no. bad, and that is
0: something that is gonna come up later. Oh boy, is it!
1: Unless you're like, I'm gonna repurpose this Harrier
3: as a cargo jet somehow.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: I mean, well, they did do they did do this one field expedient thing to Harriers, which I remember, which is they didn't have a way of deploying chaff, which is the like essentially like the missile countermeasure, yeah, foil, yeah, to to counter heat-seeking missiles. But like, um, the way they rigged this up was literally. Uh, Royal Navy like fleet air arm engineer Baz, fucking spot welding a bit of wire to fill the landing gear compartment with chaff, so you could just so you could just open it and dump chaff out of it. Fuck it, sick. Hey, model yeah. through yeah. when we're again. Dudes, rock stuff,
0: right? Yeah. Like it, that's incredibly British. Like having equipment that doesn't really do the job and finding some like slightly dangerous, probably jerry rig that sort of makes it work. Um, yeah,
3: there's a guy who's got like a, a drill from B and Q who thinks he can kind of sort it. Exactly,
0: exactly. Gaz Baz has hooked you up, um, mm. and so th- it's time for another digression because uh, the Falklands wasn't actually the only theatre of war that was going on here. Uh, they did decide to send uh, some flat-nosed geezers to give some the people Gibraltar. A- <laughs> Sadly, no, uh, to <laughs> give some people a clump on the Argentinian mainland. Um, Ah. I did not know this oh yeah so Gaz Baz and Donald McDonald right from the from 22 SAS Hereford were fucking dispatched to carry out preparations for a seaborne infiltration of like mainland Argentina like they were going to go and destroy some like uh, I think aircraft batteries and stuff Um, so basically they take off in this helicopter from the HMS Invincible on the 17th of May and they're trying to get them uh, to this place in Argentina right that bad weather they have to land and so the pilot flies to Chile and drops off the SAS team before the helicopter crew surrender to the Chilean police and basically get deported back to the UK and claim that like they were just an empty helicopter that had gone wrong. Meanwhile, Gaz Baz and Donald McDonald are fucking <laughs> fully armed yomping across Chile to try and get across the border into Argentina. Um, then what happens is, uh, they cross the border, they get into Argentina, and they have to cancel their mission because the Argentines had suspected this and deployed 2,000 troops to look for them. <laughs> <laughs> Can I and just I, say
1: that one thing I point out is that there, is about, there are two countries in the world that Thatcher's government had incredibly cozy relationships with that are slightly problematic to this day. One mm-hmm. is South Africa. The other is Chile under Pinochet. Oh, There's yeah. zero chance that the
3: Pinochet did not know this percent. Oh, what, I, what I thought you were going to talk about, other than this, was uh, Operation Algeciras, which was the reverse of this, where they send Gazio Bazio, <laughs> and, his, and his mate Donaldo. <laughs> Literally, the Argentinian Special Forces tried to send dudes to Gibraltar to blow up a Royal Navy warship in harbour. The thinking incredible being that if that like if you're getting your ships blown up in Europe you're not going to send them all to the South Atlantic and what happens is they send them in through Spain mm-hmm. they immediately get detected by virtue of being extremely obviously argentinian get arrested by the spanish police who let them keep their explosives on the way to the police station because they know how to handle them and the cops don't Absolutely incredible. I mean, there's a sort of perverse logic to it. I love it
1: when you show up to do my mission in Spain, but my name is... Joachim pizzeria, and they're just like, <laughs> <laughs> "Are you sure you belong here?"
2: <laughs>
0: Jose Eichmann uh, parachuting in to Gibraltar, um, uh, and uh, yeah. Anyway, so the SAS man literally just they just walked back to Chile and took a civilian flight back to the UK. Just imagining a guy in like all black with night vision goggles, just like boarding Wearing a BA the flight. Mask. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like carrying an MP5, just like, oh, "I want to get to London, please." <laughs> <laughs> God. Have you got any ID? I'm not allowed to identify myself legally. <laughs> um,. Uh yeah so then the next the next big hit of the war is basically the main british assault on the Falkland Islands so here's here's some more wikipedia really really dense wikipedia articles about this i think there's a lot there's a lot of nerds who are very invested in the Falklands war which mm-hmm. i do appreciate i love a good wikipedia um so uh the 4000 men of three begra- three commando brigade royal marines were put ashore as follows second uh, battalion parachute regiment 2 para uh, on the roro ferry norland and 40 commando from the royal marines uh, from the amphibious ship HM most fearless landed at san carlos and then there were like some
3: also some more paras and some like royal engineers and shit they- but crucially crucially not the royal engineers fuel handling detachment because I and i love you this know detail so much shit about this alice <laughs> the, the, the the royal engineers only specialized full-time like refueling thing from like sea mm. to land refueling Was volunteer. It was the territorial army, and they didn't get the call up in time. Awesome. It was Marc Francois. He guess Marc Francois was the crucial logistic link in this landing, and he did not get there incredible um so they they basically the next day they
0: established this uh secure beachhead and uh and then uh brigadier julian thompson a great name uh his plan was to capture darwin and groose green okay in your grand spectrum of british military officers i've never heard of this guy before but he is 100 percent of the jolly good variety like there's no there's no way Uh, this is the guy who gets too drunk on port to remember what the assault was going to be um uh and so uh let's just let's just skip ahead to goose green because this is the most this is the most i think Mm -hmm. dudes rock incident of the entire war um so uh basically between 27th and 28th of may uh two para which was about 500 men along with some naval support and a bit of support from uh the royal marines artillery uh they were stuck in this kind of pitch battle with the argentine 12th infantry who were like dug in on a hill um and uh, the British are sitting in this kind of like gulch at the bottom and they keep just trying to run up the hill and keep getting shot at, which is usually what happens to you uh, in that situation. But I think that their plan was uh, to just kind of like wait until the Argentines ran out of bullets, which was presumably going to happen at some point. Um, I mean, Nate, you're the you're the tactical expert here. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was the, the the commanding officer of like the entire force decided that now we're not. We're not waiting for this. We're going to do some dude's yeah, H rock Jones. shit.
3: Jones. The yeah. H stands for Herbert,
0: by the way. Yeah. Which you can see why he took the H. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel H. from Steps Jones. Um... <laughs> uh who uh true to the form of being a para absolutely fucking mental like if you think the marines are insane i, I feel like i feel bad now for characterizing the marines are as insane the marines are quite insane the paras are completely insane right like the paras is the marines but you also do boxing where you're not allowed to duck or block punches like yeah, that. Milling. <laughs> yeah fucking normal shit um, and so uh, this guy's like, nah, bored of this. And he just runs up the hill and suicide bombs the Argentine machine gun position by, like, just pulling all of his grenades and jumping in there.
3: This is the yeah, lieutenant colonel? Getting, yeah. Yeah, getting out of death load because you were bored. Nate, would an American lieutenant colonel ever do this? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> did, he, did he die in the process? Oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, 100%. Oh. In a hundred percent. I mean, way. this is
3: the thing they ge- they gave him the special parachuting hat that like sucks your brains out through the lining. That's the sp- and he just decided, yeah, that's why it's oh, red. I'm gonna I'm, do this. I'm
1: sorry, I'm sorry, but just the idea of the battalion commander, I presume, or something yeah. along mm-hmm. those lines, the task force commander, sing- being the guy to do that is nothing. Is more British to me than that. That is insane. Just
3: yeah. taking the "I wouldn't ask my men to do anything I wouldn't do myself" thing. One logical. There's no reason too far. why you're
1: paid to be a lieutenant colonel <laughs> and a task force commander. It's not that. I'm sure you're really good from from fucking knife and fork school at fucking digging trenches too. But there are other things you could be doing.
0: It absolutely. Also, rules.
3: God, I, I love I British po- people so fucking much. I, I will it's point out. One other fun Orbat fact, which is that like you correct, you were correct, Milo, that it was the twelfth uh, Argentine infantry regiment. However, uh, their like nominal combat strength was like a thousand, only seven hundred combat worthy. The rest were air force ground personnel, mechanics, awesome. technicians, and some men from the Argentine Coast Guard. Yeah, what was the size of the British task force, Alice? Do you know?
1: 690. So, like, you're basically a one-to-one already? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Jesus, Jesus Christ. So,
0: look, at, look at the stats from this, though. Okay, 17 British soldiers and 14, 47 Argentine soldiers were killed. A total of 961 Argentine troops, including 202 Argentine Air Force personnel, were taken prisoner. Like, basically, this guy runs up the hill, blows up a machine gun nest, and the Argentinian's like, yeah, fuck this, these guys are insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, wasn't that the battalion commander? Like, oh, oh, fuck these guys.
1: <laughs> i'm just laughing because i'm just like surely you had mortars surely you had a mortar team surely you had mm-hmm. something yeah like you just i just feel like you, I- unless there's like a really really fucking patriotic nasheed playing i don't understand why <laughs> you would do that. like it doesn't make any sense like tactically
0: speaking wh- why why would you do that three lines on a shirt began playing but like on the ood. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah i mean this guy got the posthumous uh, victoria cross uh, which is like the british equivalent of a medal of honor so it's like kind of the, the, but this is like you, you have to be mental to get awarded one of those that's the we talked on the podcast before about doughty wiley who got the victoria cross at gallipoli for like beating turks to death with his walking stick while carrying <laughs>
3: a loaded revolver <laughs> like he's yeah. just doing it for dude I,
0: I just
1: that is okay
3: I'm also finding out that the way in which H. Jones died was he was shot uh, by an Argentine sniper in the groin. Oh, um, oh that sucks! <laughs> damn. Yeah. Going out the Hans Moleman way. <laughs> just... man, man getting hit by man getting hit by SVD and groin. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what you want. It's
1: not well, what you would choose. So, Goose Green. Then, uh, obviously. I I, yeah. I, pre- I presume, yeah, like, once they actually, you know, got an assessment of the battlefield, it was like, hmm, a couple of dead here and there, slightly more dead on the Argentine
0: side, 79% of people are cold weather injuries, and it's just, yeah. the battle's over. It's awesome. I mean, I love it when you, you literally, you take, like, 17 casualties, but one of them is the commanding officer of the entire force, who should have been sat at the back on a fucking field telephone. Uh, amazing shit. Like, 10 out of 10. I mean, if you wanted to
1: be... In, I'm just going to say it. If you wanted to be insane as the senior person on the ground, you could go with the, the assault team to do that I wouldn't necessarily recommend it but you could mm. go with them you could you could be maybe slightly maybe five paces to the rear of the guys who are putting down covering fire and then fucking throwing grenades and shit but you wouldn't go by yourself. that's literally like
0: I'm gonna die because it rules like yeah. there's no other reason <laughs> to <laughs> do literally. that well, and that's why normally it's fucking like lieutenants and captains who do this shit in the British army because they're just people who hate their dad they have no interest in like leading the rest of their life they just want to go out in a way that's like gonna look cool on TV um, by the time you're a, like a lieutenant colonel, like you've had opportunities to do this before, um, this is why it's such a dude's rock war, because it's just guys being like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just gonna die. <laughs> like, <laughs>
3: um, yeah, the, the, the fully the might as
0: well die meme. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Um, uh, so let's let's go back to Terry Peck for a sec here, because uh, his dad. I wonder what he's up to. Yeah, Dad Rambo has not. He has not signed off. He is very much still in play. He
3: is in the theater <laughs> of operations. He gets a whole piece to himself on the big operation. I'm just board. imagining, mm. like
1: in in the U.S. Army, we have this thing that's like a very. 90s video game looking display for like tactical graphics and stuff that's linked up to gps and so i'm just imagine we call it blue force tracker because blue mm. force like blue force versus red force is sort of like a training thing for like yeah, yeah he guys gets versus, his own counter yeah, and i'm blue wondering force what, is like, the dick pill. and you've probably seen these alice because i know that you you take hmm. an interest in this but you know like the mil- the military operational terms and graphics like where you have like a rectangle with a cross through it for like that's like a friendly yeah, yeah, unit yeah. so like that and, like a diamond is like an enemy unit i'm just imagining what would be the terry peck tactical graphic it's the crying <laughs> love, like, i was just like, yes like, yes like, it like, is Like it's just like it's like a battalion strength geezer like <laughs> I don't know what the, he worth, would be. he's
0: worth 500 lesser <laughs> men.
3: yeah it's like one of the really obscure ones that's still technically on the books like bicycle infantry or like, but it just says big laugh my favorite my mm. favorite
1: one is that for uh for for um looting rape and pillage if that's observed mm. activity the icon is a viking helmet in a graphic I'm <laughs> not, not joking it's a helmet with horns like incredible yeah gotta love operational terms something, and
0: graphics something for
3: Elena to get furious about <laughs> yeah. um uh, so. for, for this for this thing we say the dark ages was not actually a period of relative paucity of sources but instead a, a disruption of learning yeah that's right
0: um so anyway this is from terry peck's wikipedia again again i do not know who wrote this wikipedia but it fucking rules Coming over the ridge at Port San Carlos, he saw long lines of British infantry marching inland from the beachhead. He was grilled for three days by intelligence officers anxious to gather as much information as they could about the enemy and probably extremely confused as to who the fuck this guy is. <laughs> um, on the second day, he was approached by Major Roger Patton of the 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, with a request to act as a guide for his troops, and he had never had a bigger erection
3: in his entire life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to make you... We're going to put you in the army, but, like, for real. Yeah, you're going to get It's, like, incredible shit. Um, yeah. Oh, Alice, there's
0: there's some of that later. Uh, Terry volunteered without hesitation and was attached to Three Paris D Patrol Company. His first major contribution to the campaign was to organise local farmers and their vehicles to help overcome the severe lack of military transport. I believe this is your Chinooks again. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, for t- so there's a bunch of people in like Land Rovers, but not even military ones. Just like no, like a county blue <laughs> Land Rover with like cool white mm. wheels. Because I mean, um, realistically, sp- driven around a sheep farm.
1: Realistically speaking, you could probably transport one, maybe two vehicles per aircraft per lift. Yeah. So if you had, you know, a whole fucking helicopter squadron's worth of Chinooks, you could move a lot of stuff, and you could probably get people moving. Mm-hmm. If you have one aircraft, yeah. you're you're basically you're you're not really getting, you know. The, the
3: aircraft's still in service by the way you're, you're, mm. that's
1: amazing you're probably not getting the company motor pool over very quickly yeah. so yeah
0: so there's this bit of a segment where it talks about him he basically was like guiding them around on these night patrols and stuff and at 43 he was twice the age of the soldiers he was guiding cashback um, now, Mount Longdon was attacked on the 11th of June 1982. It was intended to be a silent attack, meaning that there was no artillery barrage to alert the defenders but the element of surprise was lost when one of the paras stepped on a mine. Classic parashit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, what, like, the, the way you say that makes it sound like it was something he did voluntarily. Yeah, like, <laughs> he unearths this mine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well gotta get rid of it somehow. Someone's
0: gotta step on the mine private.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: now. These orgy mines not there's no match for British boots commanding officer's already blown himself up in service of the Queen. <laughs> so now it's you. Um, uh, so, uh, the, battle, <laughs> the Battle of Mount Longner proved to be one of the bloodiest battles of the entire campaign, but Terry advanced all the way with British forces. When a soldier was shot near him, he volunteered to carry the man back down the mountain. Now this is a direct quote from Terry Peck. We carried him down the slope, but sometimes we had to lie across him because of all the fire that was coming. We were cashing it left, right, and center. It was lit up like Blackpool. Really horrendous. We got this guy down in a crater caused by a shell. We had, we had eight wounded in that hole with two medics. That's how big the hole was. I like the addition of that's how big the hole was. <laughs>
1: I feel like if you go to the talk page of this article, all the edits are going to be made from Terry Peck's house in Fort Stanley. Well, like- he's dead. That's the thing.
0: So I don't know. Um, he died in 2006 which is kind of like before I feel like people yeah. started oh, oh, editing no, their no, own no,
1: Wikipedia. I was I was doing I was doing bullshit edits of Wikipedia articles to make jokes in 2005 so it's very possible. Yeah. That Terry Peck saw the promise of the world Dial up, 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 up on the folk. Early
3: adopter,
0: yeah. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> this is a great bit. Terry remained with the battalion on Mount Longdon, existing on toffees and food scavenged from Argentine trenches. <laughs> sounds like he's a
3: dog. It's <laughs> just like a regimental a fucking... <laughs> mascot, this 42-year-old man, and the paras the are just, like, tossing him bits of sand. He's like Sergeant
1: Slaughter or whatever, like the dog in World War One who, like, <laughs> <laughs> went around biting German soldiers in the ass and, like, got some <laughs> fucking metal for it
3: yeah that? the po- the Polish army at Monte Cassino had a bear and then they have the they have the the British equivalent mascot of a 42 year old man it's just why a why really the poli- get a fucking bear from oh yeah it, it, lines, uh, let me Syri- it. no Iran Iran um
0: Wait, excuse me, hang on a minute The Polish had a bear that they got from Iran In a war they're yes. fighting in Italy His yes.
3: name was Wojciech and they promoted him to corporal I will, uh, I, will I will
0: find it and link to
1: it But imagine being f- outranked by the bear That's Because I, pr- I produced the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast And Joe absolutely did an episode about Wojciech the bear And the mm-hmm. battle at Monaco Yes, 100% He did a whole episode right. on military mascots who actually go into battle That's how I know about the fucking Yeah, I mean Sergeant the bear is quite a good one for that Stubby I think was his name Or Sergeant Stubbs was mm. the, the name of the dog Who was like, like uh, like a little pit bull or some kind of small dog that went around by a german soldiers in
0: the ass but yes amazing a real thing uh so anyway it says terry didn't return home until three power marched into stanley for his actions supporting british forces in the advance on stanley he was awarded an mbe in 1982 however he considered the honorary membership conferred upon him by third battalion the parachute regiment the greater honor and wore his maroon beret and winged cap badge with great pride yeah, uh, up there with Jimmy Savile
3: being in the Marines, Yeah, you know? He's buried with that fucking hat, it 100%. It does kind of rule,
0: doesn't it? I mean, you get to be
1: in combat with the Paras, you get to be an honorary member of the Para, but mm. you don't have to basically get, like, jumped into the gang when you're 19 and kicked in the balls for six months every yeah. day.
3: Yeah, all of these enormous men all say that they think you're cool. Yeah. That's, you know, that's
0: the dream, right? That is the boomer dream. Uh Every year after the war on 11th of June, he visited the memorial on the summit of Mount Longdon to pay his respects to fallen comrades. This is where it gets like quite Alan Partridge. I can just imagine him up there just like solemnly like patting a trig point, going like, yep, this is the place. Oh
1: shit. You know, I realized the sad thing, the what? unfortunate thing, if he was 43 in 1983, 1982, he's technically not a boomer. Yeah, he's a oh, silent God. generation. He's a silent generation, but he's such, mm. such powerful boomer dad energy. Yeah. That it's just almost
0: like, he was an honorary para, he can be an honorary boomer too. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's clo- close <laughs> enough as makes no difference. Um, so uh, this, this is a, good, a slightly weird epilogue about him. Uh, after the war, for a time, he became disillusioned with the prospects for the island's future and left to begin a new life in Scotland in 1984, a famously upbeat place. He, re- <laughs> <laughs> he returned to the islands and stood for election to the Falkland Islands government but failed to win back his seat. After standing again, he succeeded, standing from 1989 to 1993. He continued to express his views in a forthright manner, lambasting the British government for a lack of aid and castigating Margaret Thatcher for allowing Argentines to visit the graves of his war dead. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, Just, yeah. F- extremely normal stuff. This yeah. is like the... the th- remember the episode? I think He also managed the local YMCA. <laughs> <Fun fact. laughs> didn't know this guy was gay. I was going to say, you know, if he had just been, if if they they
1: hadn't colonized the Falklands, he could have just lived a normal life of getting told that he, for for noncing reasons, his access to the Boy Scouts was being revoked and he could have shot up a school in Scotland, but instead he actually (laughs) wound up fighting a war against the Argentines. I was also going to say, this does remind me of the episode of, uh, of the crown. I think it's in season two where a guy like someone who's like a, I think a journalist or something makes comments critical of like the crown or like of how the, 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 the queen is going about things and someone mm. Patriotically punches him in the face And the, the, like and like the, the queen's Entourage are thinking maybe they should just like Give this guy a medal but then it's determined like, He's a member of some society that's like the Society for the restoration of Rhodesia or something Like that like completely <laughs> out of his mind
3: Amazing and it's, like, uh, R- Rhodesia is a whole other episode Like it's not quite Britonology But it's quasi Britonology Or maybe even like hyper Britonology Don't like the queen there's a door Simple as Exactly.
0: So the um, point, point being here that... uh like the Queen, there's the door, simple as. <laughs> yeah. I, whole, was, I was chased off my farm by some uh, criminals. This is just...
1: <laughs> there is obviously such a profoundly British energy here even if these guys have I was going to make the joke when he said about lit up like Blackpool. It's like, you've never been to Blackpool. You're from the <laughs> Falklands.
3: Well, like my, my favorite detail in, is, that, is that he said after it was lit up like Blackpool that it was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. And if you pass that the wrong way, it isn't like a, cri- a a comment on the intensity of the gunfire, but like a very Trump-like criticism of Blackpool. And it's just like, it's lit up like Blackpool. Terrible. So very tacky. Why do they have all those lights? No one likes it.
0: Very bad <laughs> casino. I went in there. The girls were not hot nad had it all um yeah well this is like an absolutely incredible thing just yeah like these really like bland blackpool reference where he hasn't even been to blackpool but i can tell you one thing this man has absolutely eaten chips in the rain while wearing a raincoat like that in Mm. that respect he has spiritually been to blackpool um so that's that's my number one candidate for the most dudes rock incident of the war is terry peck just being mental uh here is my number two candidate for the most dudes rock incident of the war Technically not on the Falklands But part of the same conflict The Argentines also invaded South Georgia Which is a separate Mm -hmm. British territory And uh, it's time for some more Gaz-Baz action Um,
3: (laughs) They feel left out when they don't get to do something like this.
0: Because once exactly, Alice, because once again, uh, the boys, the boys from Hereford were given a job and they decided to go (laughs) fucking hog. Um, So uh, this is again from Wikipedia. For the British, the first order of business was to carry out reconnaissance of Argentinian positions whose forces and dispositions were unknown, though there was no evidence to suggest they had been reinforced since the initial occupation of the island on April 3rd. The plan called for the insertion of three SBS, which is a special boat service, which is like the SAS, but boats. Um, who would then travel by land. And However, the SBS tend to be slightly less insane because they're they're basically all ex-Marines, and the Marines are extremely disciplined, whereas the SAS tend to be ex-Paras. And, well, mm. we know things about the Paras. We've learned about The, the
3: SBS nicknamed Super Booty. It's weird to me because... It, it's normal. It's weird to me because
1: <clears> a lot of the things that you describe about the way you become a Para and what the Paras are like reminds me of the Rangers, but the Rangers are famously like... Incredibly, like they are special ops now, but they're really by the book. Where it's like to find something this completely insane, you have to go to the Navy SEALs. Yeah, so it's sort of like if the SEALs were paratroopers, I mean, they are they do airborne shit, but like if they were Mm. an army unit, they kill people with knives. Yeah, exactly. They climb Mm. anchor
3: cables stab people etc yeah. oh one one fun detail about this south georgia operation is that when they were when they were prepping for this when they were briefing for this on diego garcia they fucked the supply line that was going to the falklands because gaz and his mate just nicked a bunch of stuff that they saw lying around in crates amazing uh, and like rifles and ammunition and stuff that it didn't get to the falklands because they had just lifted it we might so, need it again of that. dudes rock you think saturday yeah, yeah exactly. gear. lovely gear
0: <laughs> yeah this is 100% paras or uh, seals that's just yeah. how it works now <laughs> i mean the seals would be like hiding <laughs> cocaine in it um that is true yes that would, uh, so uh anyway basically the sbs along with like some marines officers who were attached to them came up with like quite a reasonable plan of doing like a fast boat insertion onto the beach and setting up an op to like do some reconnaissance which is what they were actually supposed to fucking do and the SBS were like nah we're not fucking doing that that's gay um <laughs> and so <laughs> Reconnaissance is for puffs. Yeah. This is, again, I I directly quote from the Wikipedia. The SAS plan was somewhat... More ambitious. Um, (laughs) It called for a helicopter insertion, and the SAS had chosen Fortuna Glacier as a point of entry, as it was sufficiently far from enemy positions so as to preclude detection. The Argentines would not expect an attack from that direction, that being the direction of the glacier. Nate, (laughs) just just off the top of your head, what problems (laughs) do you foresee with this particular plan? if you're not already
1: trained up on alpine shit and have all the kit you need which you probably won't have because you need very mm. specialized equipment for doing alpine stuff which ice climbing is absolutely part of you are probably going to encounter way more problems than advantages when it comes to i mean honestly given the amount of risk involved with doing an insertion that way you you would probably be you could probably do one to one risk comparison between inserting via a glacier and just having the mm-hmm. helicopters just fly over and do a fucking Im- just immediate airborne assault. Like, because yeah. there's so many opportunities for shit to go wrong. And let's be honest here, if you're doing SAS shit, and it's probably a small unit. Like, one yeah. guy going down means everyone's fucked because you have to deal with the guy who's fallen down a crevasse or something.
0: Oh, yeah. It was like 15, men. Yeah, it's um- just... So now it's interesting that you say that because there were some people who said that at the time, uh, such as uh, the officer commanding on the ship, Captain Nick Baker, and also members of the British Antarctic Survey who happened to be there who were like, yeah, you can't just walk across a glacier. That's not a thing. Uh, What what do they know about the Antarctic? However, uh, the SAS Major, who was in charge of D-Squadron SAS, uh, and brace for a name here, Major Cedric Delves (laughs) (laughs) overruled their objections on the basis that dudes fucking rock (laughs) Um, and the SAS had strong political backing within the British government. Again, just everyone loves the SAS because of the Iranian embassy.
3: Yeah, because Maggie loved them to pieces.
0: Yeah, a guy called Donald McDonald with a moustache as big as my head swinging in through a window, dressed in all black. It's a dude's rock image.
1: Just, it's just killing me. It's just like they don't have night vision. Like, there's so much stuff you can do. You do have night vision, and you have like all the kit in the world that you need. Why would you make it harder on yourself by deciding that you're gonna just like you're like, hey, I have a, I have, I have plus fifty dexterity. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna become an expert on fucking climbing
3: a mm. ice. I would ice. also say that they, they they put this together. The assault force was made up of um like the command element, the mortar troop, and like whatever else they could scratch together yeah. from the SAS they had, they had
0: some men from mountain troop, which is the actual like walking across glaciers, SAS guys, but like not enough. So they've got this cobbled together 15 men, like five of whom are actual mountaineers. Um, Now, notice that uh, Major Cedric Delves, despite deciding to Dudes Rock, is like, yeah, I mean, Captain Hamilton's going to be leading this one. I'm going to stay on the boat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm confident that Dudes Rock, but I'm not that confident.
1: I'm hoping that Captain Hamilton is a Mountaineer, but I'm guessing probably not. Uh,
0: I don't know. Uh, The 15 men of Mountain Troop, led by Captain Gavin Hamilton, were airlifted onto Fortuna Glacier by two Wessex helicopters. They were immediately confronted with extreme conditions, including 100 mile an hour winds and freezing temperatures. Deep crevasses slowed the advance, and when the men attempted to set up camp and wait out the storm, their (laughs) tents were swept away by the wind. Finally, after 15 (laughs) hours on the glacier, Captain Hamilton requested evacuation with the message, unable to move, environmental casualties imminent. Three Wessex helicopters were dispatched from task force, um, and basically, they tried to airlift them out. Unfortunately, in the whiteout conditions, one pilot became disorientated and crashed his helicopter. The pas- a, a classic helicopter pilot move. Yeah. Yep. The passengers were loaded onto the two remaining helicopters, but soon afterwards, one of these hit a ridge and crashed. <laughs> Once again, without any serious casualties. The last glacier. <laughs> And after two failed attempts, managed to retrieve the downed SAS and aircrew, though their equipment had to be abandoned. The pilot, Lieutenant Commander Ian Stanley, managed to nurse his overloaded a- aircraft back to the HMS Antrim and made an emergency landing on the flight deck. Um, so, but yeah, they basically, at the loss of two entire helicopters, managed to rescue uh, an SAS operation that only made it 15 hours into walking across a glacier.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a seven-year Army veteran who never did Alpine shit. And I could have told you that like, Hey, that's a bad idea. Like, I mean, hundred mile an hour winds, huge hunks of ice, shit that melts, bad weather, like helicopters, flying a helicopter has been described as basically like, like learning to ride a bike, Mm. but with a, you know, an additional dimension involved. And it's like, can you imagine riding a bike in hundred mile an hour winds? Probably not easy to keep your balance. Like, and unlike a bike, if you fall over, you
0: die. Mm. So, I mean, you can die on a bike too, but you know what I mean? So yeah, the, not a good plan yeah and what's also interesting about it right is that they're trying to do this like epic move where they like you know fucking pick up a spear and like throw it over the mountain and nail the argentine commander in the head when they've just got like a huge fucking hammer of the entire all marines who are just sitting there which of course is what they end <laughs> up doing yeah there's
1: an extent to which like because this is everyone's first actual war and possibly only war they just they're just like they spent their entire lives reading like fucking boy's own and they're just mm. like all right we're just going to do it all. We're just going to...
0: We're sending in Ronan Keaton. Yeah,
1: we're just... We're just, we're just
0: do- <laughs> it's wild, man. Holy shit. Yeah, like a child Ronan Keating getting sent over the ridge. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically, they, they just landed like... At, thousands of Royal Marines in the harbour and then the Argentines just surrendered because of course they did um, what actually happened right so the Marines and the rest of the paras and some of the guards as well who are like again slightly below in the psycho standings but still the guards are like so that's your Irish
3: guard, Scots that's guards, Scots guards Welsh yeah, guards exactly. rather than your like gas psychosis they're not. I recommend the movie Tumble Down which is about a guards captain who gets uh, shot in the head by a sniper and like does not let this deter him at all they're not dudes rock but they're they're extremely
0: like, oh yeah. Well, I started chaps. out, yeah, Ch- chaps, Ch- chaps, chaps rock.
3: I was uh, well. Of course, my father
0: was in the Household Cavalry, and uh, when I was playing Raga at Edinburgh, you know, it just seemed like the natural progression for me, really, um, and really the, get the conversation started yeah, about mental health. And his names like Captain Tontin Tintin, you know, like <laughs> that, that, <laughs> that kind of shit. Um, the, the guards are really known for being like, uh, like not necessarily like majorly combat effective, but just like psychotically disciplined. There's that famous story mm. about how. At Dunkirk like the, the guards were the only People like standing on the beach in fucking Formation is <laughs> <laughs> like getting fucking dive bombed Like Stand there man stand up straight <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean this is all yeah, They genuinely... are the most marching up and down the square yeah. Kind of formation this is yeah. So yeah. This is,
1: everything about this is just a parody Of Britishness like I swear to god yes. like if you, yeah. if you told me that this was like invented As like a spitting image style Early 80s parody of the Falkland Wars And you're like that you had just been taking the piss This entire episode yeah. I would believe you
0: to be fair, to be fair to the guards in this instance, and also to the Royal Marines, the Royal Marines and the guards throughout this conflict, from what I can understand, are just guilty of just doing good, normal soldiering, like just being effective. Yeah, and effective. being handcuffed to Psycho-Baz the para. Yeah, and Psycho-Baz Gaz and Donald McDonald from 22 SAS.
3: Yeah. yeah. Um, like they being dragged along behind them.
0: It's just, it's just, it's basically like Marine officers just like rubbing their temples as they attempt to explain to para <laughs> officers that like, no, that isn't a good idea. And He's going like, yeah, we'll fucking have them. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so basically they managed to lay siege to Stanley, which uh, was like many miles from where they landed, like something in the region of, I think, about 60 miles from where they landed. Yeah, by virtue of the tab or yomp, yeah. depending on which you speak. And so, uh, but yeah, because, as Alice rightly points out, because there was only one Chinook and no land vehicles, they had to fucking walk. And fortunately, both for Paris, but especially for the Marines, this is once again their wettest actual dream. Um, I mean, like, the Paris kind of like doing this, but like the Marines are particularly famed for...
3: Also, the territory of the Falklands is absolute wet dream for this ship because it looks like a flatter version of Wales. Like, it looks Mm. like Sunnybridge. It looks like the place where you train to do all of this shit anyway. It's just windswept bare grass and rock scree. It's perfect.
0: Yeah, because like, that is like, kind of the, the big thing you do at the end of Royal Marines training is this like 30 mile speed march, the one that Jimmy Savile famously completed to earn his honorary <laughs> green beret, thereby putting these guys in the hallowed, uh, you know, rake rakings of people <laughs> like Jimmy Savile.
3: Jimmy Savile yomping across to nonce the kids of Stanley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now coming over the ridge, it's like into Argentine machine gun fire. Now then, now then now then. So let's let me ask you,
1: how long did it take them to Yomp sixty miles?
0: I think they basically did it in like a day and a half. Which is I mean that's good, that sucks, but that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I guess at a certain point we're like, we're just fucking doing this, we're just fucking doing this. But I mean like,
0: yeah, like when they do like the and rec- also I cannot stress this enough. This is their wettest dream. They're they, into this at this. Yeah, point. they
3: cut. They covered fifty six miles in three days, carrying an average of eighty pounds in load. Yeah, that sounds about
1: right. I was going to say because I mean that's that, that that like Nijmegen when they recreate the Nijmegen March, like it's mm. uh it's like twenty five miles per day for a hundred miles total. Mm. Like yeah, that that sounds like doing twenty five miles a day ish twenty twenty five. That sounds about right. Yeah, mm. I mean that sucks. That fucking sucks dick. But like that's. That's at least survivable. Whereas making yeah. people do combat load, do sixty miles all in one go, like, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. You you're gonna have you're a not bad time.
3: Really gonna be able to do do a lot of fighting when you actually get there. Uh, yeah, and they, and they take this famous photo where one of the marines ties a big crying laughing emoji, <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a big a big union flag to his radio aerial, and there's mm-hmm. this photo of them like yomping, I suppose, over this like totally windswept landscape and that's i saw uh, that, that photo last famous. week
1: when someone tweeted uh, a gaz baz type tweeted that and safely said maradona's dead and uh the Falklands are still british happy days yeah. and it was that photo it was just like nothing could encapsulate the relation more. between
0: those two things somehow mm. yeah um Anyway, they laid siege to Stanley. Basically, like the, the battle the actual Battle of Stanley itself is quite uneventful. Uh there were two British casualties and eighteen Argentine casualties. Uh and then the Argentines uh surrendered because they correctly uh worked out that they were surrounded
3: by absolute fucking psychos. Uh, <laughs> oh, the RAF did get one dude's rock moment oh, in okay. this whole conflict, me. which is Operation Black Buck. Don't ask me, they're chosen randomly, mm-hmm. I think. Which was the Vulcan the Avro Vulcan bombers which were the last like nuclear capable bombers they have they tried to do a, a very nearly like transatlantic bombing mission launching from fucking Diego Garcia or something a Tristan da Cunha oh, and amazing. then bombing Bombing the airfield that the Argentines had constructed in Stanley and flying home, and it took like three sequential things of like aerial refueling yeah, to yeah, do yeah, this I was say. for no for, for like no real gain. But they could all say, "Hey, we you know we did this thing. We have justified our budget. We also and, rocked, you know. Yeah, we all, we too rocked. Some some rocked all, but all rocked some."
0: Yeah, th- this is kind of like, and I, that is the element of this war that I sympathize with the most. Like, if you're in the if you're in the army in the 1980s, like this is your big opportunity to like do your dudes wrong.
3: Like, wh- what else are you gonna be doing? Like, getting drunk in West Germany?
1: I, <laughs> I mean, when I was in Afghanistan, we had the whole thing with Private Bergdahl going missing, but had he was that was my battalion. But had that not happened, I'm not joking. My battalion commander and battalion operations officer were in the process of planning an airborne mission. In which we were going to do a parachute insertion into like one of the districts in the province we were in. Why? Because you could. And it's just one of those things where it's like <laughs> when you when when this kind of thing happens it's like unprecedented, you know, for the British military in that generation. It's just sort of like every single idea is actually a potentially viable idea. And so it's just like if someone's like, "Hey, let's can we do three in-flight refuels and make the pilots just like shoot speed nonstop and bomb Argentina like while flying from a territory that's basically next to India?" Sure. Why not? <laughs> fucking why not? Why the fuck not? We can do it, right? I mean, it'll technically feasible. Okay, fucking do it. And so, like, yeah, there is an extent to which all of these are just sort of ideas cooked up in the brains of people who are basically getting to do G.I. Joe shit for real for the first time in their lives.
0: Yeah. Um, and they, they crucially forget things that like that weather exists because yeah, they're mm. so into this. And it really exists on the Falklands. Cannot stress that enough. Places with bad weather imagine scotland but worse like <laughs> yeah it's not what you're looking for um mm. and so uh my my final before we do final thoughts uh my last coda to this is like i had a vague memory of this and i googled it and it did actually happen when uh, argentina had that mental woman president in 2012 christina fernandez de Kirchner. yeah, yeah. um de mm, that doesn't sound very spanish i wondered how you would end up with a, a german sounding last anyway no no need to think about that um uh she there was a weird there was a weird period of like saber rattling about the Falklands again in ni- in, ni- in 2012 and uh and she referred to the British government as conquistadors which i just thought was extremely funny like, leaving the colonial past of Britain aside, a bunch of people who are, like, white, Spanish-speaking people who live in argent dina calling someone else conquistadors <laughs> is, like, deeply... Like, her biggest, like, way to claim not being a conquistador is that she's actually descended from Nazis. Like, that is her best hope <laughs> of not being a conquistador.
3: I was gonna say, yeah. Uh, but then the, the Argentines like, healed from this because Diego Maradona... Uh, punched in a goal, uh, yeah. hand of God, and then scored another one perfectly, legitimately beat England, and everything was fine. Uh, yeah. Also, we just found like the possibility of massive offshore oil deposits on the Falklands, so um, mm. you know, it's all gonna happen again. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing my lieutenant colonel blow himself up. Uh, That's right. And fucking uh, It'll be very fun rich. when uh, we all get de- you know de- deployed under Nate's command as junior officers <laughs> to the
0: Falklands. <laughs> That's right. I'm yeah. so excited! The trash Future Battalion. Oh, Jesus
3: Christ! <laughs> Nate just throws all of this wisdom to the winds, and it's like, lads, I've come up with this fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. What we're gonna do is we're gonna parachute in. Yeah. Uh, intelligence Officer Hussein Kazvani. I
1: was gonna say, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> um, obviously. I- Riley is going to be in charge of procurement for rations and, like, oh, cool. damn, day 19 of combat ops, you having wine and oysters. Yeah. How is this fucking yeah. feasible?
0: How are you getting get those, much like, Hamon French? Iberico yeah, to <laughs> South Auckland.
3: We get the, like, French rations with duck cassoulet and, like, cognac in them. Yeah, that's the dream. Riley's, like, going through the MRE, just checking
0: it's all vegetarian.
1: Alice, last night you didn't, you weren't on the stream, but we actually watched mm. Steve MRE Info eat the infamous four fingers of death MRE from the early '80s. The uh, beans. Oh and, God, I'm
3: so sad you deleted the 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 VOD. I kind of wanted to see the it. The beans but, of Frankfurt. Yeah. Well, there was a problem,
1: obviously, yeah. because we uh we yeah, yeah. because they couldn't. Nobody on the stream, the stream could hear the viewers could hear it, mm. but no one in the cast besides me could hear what the videos were saying. Because as it turns yeah, out, yeah, streaming yeah. from a Mac sucks dick. But uh, yeah. we probably want to wrap up.
0: Yeah. Um, well, anyway, does anyone does anyone have any final comment to make on the Falklands War, the most dudes rock crying laughing
3: emoji ass war to ever occur? <laughs> um, we're, like we're gonna be dining out on this one forever. Uh, it's like our last thing of national prestige, and we'll die hugging it to our chest. Yeah, it's insane. I do find it funny
1: that America told uh Britain, "Don't, no, you can't," because a year later, uh, America decided to invade Grenada and Mm. even thatcher was like oh surely that's fucking excessive isn't it like (laughs) they were like what
3: what you you think believe believe grenada was like a a british colony at that point too? still
1: they basically were like you were you you're gonna go to war and invade an island nation because you're convinced that a couple of american medical students are being detained by the evil communist government Mm. When the american medical students were like no
3: we're fine (laughs) wasn't wasn't the code name for that something like acid gambit it
1: might have been I'm it was operation urgent fury was the mission but i don't remember what that's <laughs> the
0: most baz name for an operation
1: oh, yeah, yeah 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 i mean
3: and, and there's we i mean operation
1: got, highly illegal if we did if we did a like a reverse britonology on grenade it would be hilarious because
3: like uh, acid gambit was panama yeah but like
1: well the Acid yeah. Gambit that was the early because because um just hmm. cause was panama the actual combat op but Acid Gambit might have been the prep phase yeah In the way that like Mm. Desert Shield was the go hang out in Saudi Arabia for six months and Desert Storm was the actual war. But yeah, I mean (laughs) honestly, this is just I get it now. There's a lot of other stuff that I didn't understand about why it was so revered and like no one could ever shut the fuck up about it. Because I mean it's 38 years ago. Like, you know, at this point, I mean, you don't hear a lot of Americans talking about desert storm or just cause or urgent fury that much anymore because like mm. other stuff's happened and the british army's been involved in the war in iraq and the war in afghanistan yeah, but it's so, like yeah.
3: this is just enough of a like but, actual yeah. war or, like without well doing cool. any counterinsurgency yeah. that seems unfair or boring or is like difficult to be inspired by you have like something with like people lining up and shooting at each other that's I really love that's the what idea they crave of, that's what they want these what days. if it
1: had gone differently and and that the the falkland islanders had realized this, the cultural superiority of the argentines and so like they were fighting against like the falkland viet men who really wanted to be argentine <laughs> 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 Just, yeah we've we've got the secure yeah, yeah. program but yeah <laughs> that's right it's like we
0: reject your tripe, we eat churraf <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
2: um
0: yeah, I mean, you know, I think that's I think that would be an interesting timeline in which to live. Um mm. but, but we are left simply uh with the dude's rock timeline. We are indeed. Um, right. I think one of one of the more one of the more like uncomplicatedly enjoyable bits of British military history, in my view. Mm. We're not colonizing yeah, anyone. It, the highest proportion of farce yeah, exactly. to war crimes. I think the highest proportion of guys being hidden under a priest's robe. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also true. Uh, so uh, best moustaches by far. Oh, absolutely. And when those days, everyone had a fucking moustache in the, in the army. That was just the vibe. Um, so I think that's I think that's about it for this episode of Britonology. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaves me only to say thank you very much for listening. And thank
3: you to Alice for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. I had a great time. Always a pleasure.
0: All right. We'll see you all next time.